0: No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible.
1: This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schapp. Certainly one of the most significant figures The annals of the modern game, or of any era, actually. The longtime commissioner of baseball, a member of the Hall of Fame, we are speaking with Alan Bud Selig. Commissioner, thank you for joining us.
0: Jeremy, pleasure to be with you. Glad to do it. And, and, uh, you and I have done a lot of things together over the years, so this is a pleasure.
1: Well, the, uh, the occasion isn't only our All-Star special, but it is, of course, as well, the publication of your new book, For the Good of the Game, the inside story of the surprising and dramatic transformation of Major League Baseball, written with the great baseball writer Phil Rogers from Chicago. But why did you want to put the story down in print?
0: Well, you know, I thought about it for a long time. Um, And I'll tell you a little story, which I hope Jeremy will illustrate it. Years ago, um, I had gotten friendly with Doris Currens Goodwin, the famed historian, who you know has written the foreword for the book. And um, I I convinced her and her husband, Richard Goodwin, and uh, she brought Samantha Powers, uh, who later went on to the United Nations, and Henry Aaron, my friend Henry Aaron, was there. And, you know, Jeremy... Uh, we started telling stories, sat there for a long time. And at one point she said to me, because I am a history buff, as you well know, you got to write a book. You can't, you've been through too much. You, these stories are fascinating. From that day forward, and everybody in baseball kept telling me the same thing. And so, Jeremy, being a history buff and being a history professor now, Um, I just, there were a lot of subjects that I felt, at least from my perspective, hadn't been really told properly. And so I wanted to, I was anxious to write a book. It took me a long time. Uh, Richard Justice and Phil Rogers both did an excellent job. We spent endless hours. Um, And so it was just a matter of, I hope, at least from my historical perspective, telling the story the way I believe it happened. You're
1: speaking with the former commissioner of baseball, Bud Selig, uh, who was the man in charge of the game for more than 20 years. Uh, he's been out of the office of the commissioner for just the last four years, succeeded by Rob Manfred, who ran labor relations for him for a long time. And, and of course, Bud, one of the things you address in the book is your legacy in terms of baseball's era of performance-enhancing drugs. And we've talked about this many times over the years. And and you've talked about how frustrated you were uh, with what you saw as the intransigence of the players' union on the subject of testing. Um, how do you address that issue here in the book?
0: Well, I do, and I try to tell it just the way it happened. Um, you know, I've read and heard and you know, Jeremy, how sensitive I am to some of that, where we were slow to react, we didn't really care, it was good for our attendance, all of which are myths of, of, of enormous consequences. And so I, I detail almost year by year, and in some cases, that what happened from the time that Steve Wilstein in, uh, in Pittsburgh found uh, Angel and Mark McGuire's locker, and all the way, but the, the thing, Jeremy, that's so frustrating to me is that people don't seem to understand this is a subject for collective bargaining. This is not something a commissioner can do. People said, oh, you know, if Landis were still commissioner and I'd always joke, well, he's not. Look, in 2000, Jeremy, in 2000, I banned steroids in the minor leagues completely. For the 2001 season, though it's been now 18, 19 years. And, but the others was a subject of collective bargaining. And I don't say this to, um, in no sense going back all this, but Don Fear and Gene Orzer of the union were very outspoken. I mean, I'm not telling you anything that comes as a shock to anybody who followed it. They didn't believe
1: it. Look, Bud, I, I, had, I had Marvin Miller on this show probably 20 years ago and I asked him about performance enhancing drugs and I asked him why he thought uh, players should not be tested. Marvin Miller, the legendary uh, union organizer, the, the godfather, uh, not for your benefit, but before our audiences, the, the man who really created the modern major league baseball players association. And he compared them to pilots, uh, you know, uh, you know, to, or he said, You know, if we're not going to what he said was, you know, why should I let my guys be tested if I don't have to? Um, And and of course, it was because about competitive balance.
0: Right. And Jeremy, let me I was just going to say and good for you, because it's right. He went to his grave saying that if he were still there. That nobody would be tested. He, He talked about peeing in a bottle to be very blunt about it. And uh, and so, look, that was Marvin's view, that was Gene Orza's view, that was Don's view. And so this was a Herculean struggle. This was something we battled um, day after day, year after year. In '02, we got what I, it was the last item, I'll never forget it, Jeremy, at 7 in the morning. We got it done and um uh, it was i thought a week program it turned out pretty good 5% and so on and so forth
1: the 5% in 2003 triggering mandatory testing once that threshold was reached
0: exactly right and but even in 05 and 06 in fact when I went and I got Senator Mitchell, who had done a lot of work for me, George Mitchell, to to do a whole steroid thing at 06, because there was still a lot of stuff going on. We had a better program, but not where we should be. And as you know, he came up with a uh, with a with a program and made 20 recommendations, by the way, which we have followed. and And um, and so today, after a lot of agony. We have the toughest testing program in American sports. Better than that, Water the World Anti-Doping Association will tell you, we have as good a program as there is in America. I'm proud of that. But we went through a, a lot of agony. And, and again, from a historic, and I tell my students this, Jeremy, all the time, it seems that the fact that it was a subject of collective bargaining has been something that a lot of people either didn't understand or just didn't know.
1: We're speaking with Bud Selig, the longtime commissioner of baseball. His new book is for the good of the game: the inside story of the surprising and dramatic transformation of Major League Baseball, co-written with Phil Rogers, longtime baseball writer for the Chicago Tribune. But it's always interesting talking to you. I've always enjoyed having the opportunity to to converse with you, talk baseball history with you. But before we um uh wrap up this segment. I want to ask, are you still going to Cops every day for lunch? Is that true? Or was that in, like an urban legend?
0: No, so it, it, it's actually, as much as I love Cops, it's Gillies. G-I-L-L-E-S. And the answer is, when we get done today, I'm going to Gillies for lunch. Yes. I The answer to your question.
1: Is- okay, so Gilly, is Gillies the deli that you that you are the ben uh, the benefactor of?
0: No, that's Jake Levine's Delicatessen, and I go there a couple times
1: a week. There's so many restaurants to talk about, Bud. We're speaking with Commissioner Bud Selig. And, and, Bud, I think a lot of people covered you for a long time in baseball and followed baseball in the decades that you were running the sport. uh will be surprised at some of the candor in this book, the things that you address very candidly now that you are no longer the person uh, on Park Avenue in the commissioner's office. What was the thing you most wanted to unburden yourself of when you wrote this?
0: I think the steroid situation, which we've already discussed, um, how we changed the economics. Because, I, you know, in the end, in the 90s, where I took a lot of criticism for uh, oh, quite a while because of the revenue-sharing thing and trying to change things. Remember this, Jeremy. Baseball hadn't changed its economics since the 20s and 30s. So when I say I inherited a mess, and you know what kind of mess it was because Phil Rogers left it in the book and it's okay, it was because our economic plan was an anachronism. It was just tired. It was old. But change comes slowly. I regard baseball as a social institution, Jeremy, and I'm telling you social institutions are resistant to change. So, um, it's okay. I, I, I don't... Uh, but that was really, really difficult. And the steroid thing, well, for all the reasons we've already discussed, the union fighting it, uh, Marvin and uh, everybody else, Don Fear and Gene and everybody else fighting it, fighting it publicly, fighting it in front of Congress. And... Um, Somehow, that that whole complete historical story, I think, really has not been told the proper way. And I hope that people, and so far the early returns are good. They at least understand what happened. May not agree, and I understand uh, uh, anything you do in life, there'll be critics. And uh, but um, I, I'm proud of what we did. There were more change in the 22, 23 years. And in the history of the game and I think for the most part uh, they've worked out wonderfully well.
1: And I should say we're speaking with Bud Selig about his new book For the Good of the Game, the Inside Story of the Surprising and Dramatic Transformation of Major League Baseball being published July 9th although available for pre-order of course on Amazon and other websites. And, and Bud you mentioned how resistant institutions like baseball are to change how tough it is to to turn a big ship around like baseball. Right now um, you know, your successor, Rob Manfred, is dealing with an issue that seemed to almost crop up suddenly with a spate of recent incidents involving fans getting hit by baseballs. Um, recommendations were sent from the commissioner's office a few years ago about extending netting first to the inside of the dugout, then the outside of the dugout. Now we see teams going all the way down to the foul poles. Jerry Reinsdorf, your old friend. He was the first to do it just last week. Um, why, why does it take, um, why does it take so long for baseball to enact changes?
0: Well, it does. It, it, it does if I could just, uh, uh, you know, just the, if you go back to the wild card, which was so logical, and yet, boy, did I take fierce criticism. You did. Not from the owners. The owners were great with me. But in the netting case, look, I, I this went back to the days that I was with the Brewers and then Commissioner. The fans sitting there, Your own customers fight it. Interesting. They really do. They think it blocks their view. They don't like it. But I think overall, the way things are working out now, and um, you've seen significant change already, and I think much more to come, Jeremy.
1: What would you do if you were a commissioner now on the netting issue, bud?
0: Um, I try never to second-guess Rob Manfred. You know, he was... uh, um, He's done, I think, a remarkable job. He did a great job for me for 23 or 24 years, and I think things are coming along okay. And there's no question. uh, I see the Dodgers uh, today are talking about increasing the netting. Uh, The the Nationals are about to increase the netting. I think you're going to see a lot of that.
1: When you look back, Bud, at at, at your tenure as commissioner, and so many things were accomplished, what are the things. You take the most pride in.
0: Well, as I said earlier, Jeremy, the economic changes. I've had owners, small market, medium market owners say to me, if you hadn't done what you did in the 90s, we'd be out of business today. And I think that's true. Whether people want to understand that or not, there's no question. And so there's no question, Jeremy, that I think that the, all the changes, many of them controversial, many of them painful, really painful, at least caused me pain, um, have really worked out well. And, uh, and you know, the, my father taught me years ago, and, um, and I want to say this to you, too. Your father was really a great Great, great newspaper person. I mean, legendary in a certain sense, and you really followed that, if, I, if you'll allow me to say it.
1: I will. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, Bud.
0: And the fact of the matter is that change often comes slowly, painfully, misunderstanding, so on and so forth. But if you really I, – I will go back for the title of the book, For the Good of the Game. It turned out um, – you know, Jeremy, when I was in Kansas City in 2014 and 15, and they were in the World Series 1, one of them, it gave me enormous pride because that couldn't have happened in the mid or late 90s. And so um, it's those kinds of experiences, as, as painful as they may be, and I don't mind telling you that um, uh, there were times in the 90s when I was watching television and uh, my wife would turn it off because I was getting pounded, and she couldn't understand why we wanted to listen to it.
1: Yeah, you're talking about the luxury tax, the redistribution of wealth, the common pool of—that's exactly uh, what
0: I'm talking. Of, yes.
1: of money, which made it possible. Yes, which you write about in the book. We're speaking with Bud Selig about his new book, which is being published on July ninth, for the good of the game—the inside story of the surprising and dramatic transformation of Major League Baseball. And, and Bud, you're. You're 84 now. Um, The game has meant so much to you. You were a fan before you were an owner. You were an owner before you were the commissioner. Um, Are you still a fan?
0: Oh, no question about it. Um, I tell you what I did last night. I watched a bunch of games tonight. I'll watch all 15 teams play at one time, and I'm still the fan. I am. um, uh, I'm now able to... uh, to uh, devote more time to it. And I do, I'm a fan. Look, very simple. I love the game. I think, Jeremy, it comes through in the book. Um, I've always loved the game. And I, you know, I tell my students, and I would say the same thing to you. Uh, It's true in everything in life. If you don't have a passion for what you're doing, you ought not to do it. I've always had a passion for the game since I was a little kid.
1: These days, Bud, uh, other than watching baseball and writing books and, and um, I, what else do you do these days? What, what keeps you busy? Not that that's not enough.
0: Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm teaching, Jeremy, at three universities, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, my alma mater, a history course, History 600. It's Baseball and American Society, 1945 to the present. Um, I'm teaching at Marquette University in law school, which I've been for 10 years. Even though I'm not a lawyer, I've I've joked to a lot of lawyers. They didn't think it was funny, but I practiced law without a license. And then at Arizona State University, uh, so I have three days of that. And plus all the other things that I'm doing, I'm, people ask me how I've enjoyed retirement. I don't know because I haven't <laughs> retired.
1: Bud Selig, uh, it's such a pleasure uh catching up with you again, and congratulations on the new book. Bud Selig's new book is For the Good of the Game, the inside story of the surprising and dramatic transformation of Major League Baseball. It is going to be essential reading for anyone interested in the history of the national pastime. For the first time, the commissioner sharing the inside view of an entire era of the game's history. Bud, again, thank you so much for joining us here on The Sporting Life.
0: Jeremy, it's been a pleasure, and I, you know, you talked about candor before, and that's the one thing I wanted to do in this book, so I'm glad it's coming through. Look, it's great to talk to you, and um, thank you for having me on.
1: I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.